0: you again for joining us this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you wherever you are, um, would you turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1? The Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Again, as I have said before, if you do not have a Bible, uh, you contact us and we will get you a Bible. We have one in many different languages and we will will get it to you uh, so that you can bring it You can take it home, you can mark it up, you read it, uh, get into this word and let this word get into you. So Luke chapter 1, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record many of the face-to-face encounters people had with Jesus, face-to-face encounters. I don't know how many there are. I didn't take the time to go through and count, but I'm sure scores of occasions, just those that are recorded, I'm sure many that are not recorded, but recorded encounters of Jesus face-to-face with people, And, and this is how Jesus desired it, right? Jesus came to be with us, and Jesus desired interaction with people. Jesus was not into uh, social distancing uh, but rather he was into people engaging. Jesus loved to get with people, and there were times, and and you can read this throughout the Gospels as well, where he would pull away from people, wisely so, pull away from people to spend time with his Father in prayer, but you see again and again Jesus encountering people or people coming into his presence, and there's this face-to-face encounter And for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these encounters. In fact, one of the names of Jesus uh, given to him before his birth is the name Emmanuel, which means, translated means, God is with us. So even one of his names declares how Jesus loves to have this personal interaction and he still does today. Now, he's not here, of course, in bodily form, but I I promise you, and you're going to see this in coming weeks, Jesus desires to have a face-to-face, heart-to-heart, person-to-person encounter with every person. He desires that. That's why he came and when people were face to face with Jesus, they were changed. You can read it all later. Uh, when, when people would come into the presence of Jesus or, or he would be in their presence, they would leave differently. Their lives were affected. This morning, one of the face to face encounters is, uh, is in Luke chapter 1, where the person of John the Baptist is introduced. Now, I need to clarify something before we go any further, and that is the Baptist is not his last name, and neither was it his denomination. Uh, Denominations weren't a thing then. John the Baptist was was a a title given to him, or the Baptist was because he later on in his adult ministry... Uh, he baptized people, so they called him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. It, it was also given him so that it distinguishes him from another person, a key person in the Gospels also named John. But John's first time in Jesus' presence wasn't quite, wasn't quite face-to-face. Let me say that again. The first time in his presence wasn't quite face face to face. Luke 1 records how the mothers of Jesus and John were each expecting a child. Now both mothers were expecting these children by supernatural means. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Bible tells us, and we know this, that that, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived that child. And that child, Jesus, was born of a virgin. John, his mother, her name was Elizabeth, uh, she was up in years. she and her husband were up in years when and and had not been able to conceive a child, but God miraculously worked on her body and on her husband's body, and they were able to conceive a child well beyond those childbears so so both had children within their wombs that were uh, there by supernatural means. These mothers, who were related, were visiting each other, and Luke chapter 1, verse 39 says this, "'Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country "'to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah "'and greeted Elizabeth. "'And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, "'the baby,' that is, John, leaped in her womb. "'And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit,' And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then in verse 44, Elizabeth said this, When the sound of your greeting, she said to Mary, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy this is what I mentioned earlier, how it really wasn't quite face-to-face because there was some flesh and there was some clothing between them. But the Bible records here that John, when Jesus and his mother came into the home, came into the room, John, it says, leaped for joy in his first encounter with Jesus. And that gives him a unique distinction. It gives him a unique distinction as the first person recorded who experienced joy at the presence of Jesus Christ. Think of that. The first person who who experienced joy at the presence of Jesus was inside of his mother's womb. I'm going to add this inside the mother's womb is a precious place, and it's a holy place. And it needs to be a protected place. I'm just gonna throw that in. But here's this baby. And he he wouldn't be the, the last one. In fact, how many of us here, how many of us here who have at the presence of Jesus experienced joy? John was the first. In fact, a few months later, after Jesus was born, an angel sent from God told some shepherds near Bethlehem, I bring good news of a great joy, which will be for all people. So this joy that John first experienced, the first person to experience it, this this child that leaped for joy was not going to be the last person who experienced joy because of Jesus Christ. The angel said, The joy that Jesus brings is going to be for all the people, including us. Well, 30 years later, fast forward 30 years later, Luke chapter 3, John and Jesus were again face to face when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. We won't spend a lot of time with that this morning, but it's, it's, it's a powerful statement in itself, what happened on that wonderful occasion where Jesus, the Spirit, came upon him and then led him out into the wilderness. And John was a part of that. That was a, that was a contact, face-to-face encounter with Jesus. But it was their third. It was their third recorded face-to-face encounter when a statement was made that changed the world. It's in John chapter 1, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there as well. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I I, I like to imagine this in my mind. I have an imagination, as do you. And I want you to imagine this scene. I don't know exactly what it was like, but John was here. He's baptizing people, and and he sees coming this person that he knows because he's met him before. And he sees him coming. And, And I don't know if he pointed. I don't know if that was a proper or improper thing to do. But I think, I like to imagine that he pointed to Jesus and he made this declaration. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now remember, years earlier, John had leaped for joy in his mother's womb when God's Spirit came upon her. But here, the Holy Spirit moved on John to say these words. Why do I say that? Why do I say that this was a, 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 an expression or a statement that was, that was inspired by the Holy Spirit? Because at this point, here in John chapter 1, this is still perhaps a few years away from the cross. It's, it's, it's a few years away from Jesus' death and his resurrection. But I believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit... It, he moved, he, the Spirit, moved upon John, and John said, there he is. He's the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sin of the world. Now, we know what this statement meant. We know it better now than even John did. But it talks about sin here. He said, Jesus takes away sin. So let's talk about sin for a few moments here this morning. Let's talk about sin. Uh, what is sin? Well, I actually have here, I actually have here a definitive list of 47 things that are sins. And uh, we're going to, we've made copies for you. You're going to take it home. They have little check boxes beside it. And, uh, and you can use, it. I'm kidding. You're not going to do this. I don't have a list for you this morning of the things that are sinful and the things that are not. Now, let me be very clear on something. The Bible is very straightforward in declaring things sinful. The problem is that oftentimes we as people today, not just believers, but people, we, 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 we like a definitive list of things so that we know of what we cannot do and what we can do. That's a potentially dangerous thing. Now stay with me. I, 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 again, I'm going to point out that there are things that are very clearly stated in the Word that are, are wrong, and yet there's a danger in quantifying something and saying these things are sin, and so therefore anything else is, is open. The greater definition of sin is that I want to point to this morning is when we choose our way and our desires over God's plan. See, that's sin. When we choose our desires, when we choose our plans over God's plan, God's plan as revealed in his word, or God's plan that he reveals to us by his Holy Spirit for specific things, when God tells us this is the way that I want you to walk and we choose to do something different, that is sin. The greater definition of sin is when we choose our way over God's. You see, God has a plan for our lives. That I can say about every person here, about every person watching or listening God has a great plan for every person here this morning. There are many things that that God has for us in his great plan for us, but there are also many things that will try to stop us from seeing the fulfillment of God's plan in our lives. We call those things sin. They are destructive, and they are destructive on so many levels. There are things in God's Word that are are placed there for our benefit because if we do them, (laughs) then they will damage us or they will destroy us. One of the the most effective lies that Satan has ever convinced people is that that sin sin is rather innocuous and that you can choose to do it or not do it but it really won't have much effect. But one of the common denominators about sin is that it affects us in every way. It affects us spiritually. It can affect us physically. It affects us relationally. And there are things in God's word that says don't do that because it will have a negative, destructive effect upon you. And yet we often take Sin so lightly. We often dismiss it. I mentioned to you earlier about this, you know, this this list, and I just start off, you know, lying, cussing, drinking, drugging, fornicating, adultering, stealing, yelling, chewing, smoking, trash talking, laying around, sleeping around, pushing people around. You, know, I mean, we like those kinds of lists, right? The problem is that sometimes we put things on the list that are not necessarily things that are in the book. I have a colleague, a friend of mine, who uh, some years ago was visiting some relatives of his in California. He was from Iowa. And he got out there and, and he said, uh, he said uh, uh, say, what are we going to do after the youth group on Wednesday night? And they said, well, we're going to go down to the beach, his friend said. We're going to go down to the beach. And he says, you mean like swim? He says, his cousins said, "Yes, absolutely, we're going to swim." He says, "You mean like with girls?" He said, "Yes, of course, we're going to swim with girls. We, that's what we do at the beach, and it's in California." He says, "He says mixed bathing. If you swim together with guys and girls, he said that's a sin." And uh, my wife laughs because she grew up on the beach as well. And, and he said, "That's a, that's a sin." And and his his cousins in California says, "What do you mean that's a that's a sin?" He said. Well, that's what we do here. He says, what do you do for fun back in, back in Iowa? He says, well, we go bowling. And his, his cousin said, that's a sin. You can't do that. Now, you won't find, you know, mixed swimming or bowling uh, on a definitive list in the Bible. That's an example of some of the things that we often add to it and say, well, in my opinion, that's sin. The, the problem is, that, and we call that legalism, we we go to one extreme and we, we, we make our own list and we go, if you do these things, it's sinful, so therefore if you don't do any of these things and we, be, we can become so legalistic. Here's the problem, somebody rightly observed, that we either swing too far into legalism or we often swing the opposite direction into license. I think actually right now in our culture, in our Nation In our world right now, sin has become something that is not talked about, it is not spoken against, it is not condemned, and instead we are at a time when we have, we have swung often into the opposite direction to where we don't call out what God's word says is absolutely wrong. We have a time when people are saying, it doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter what what the Bible says. As long as your heart is good, you can do those things and God will continue to love you and you will be in right relationship with him. We've swung in this direction where there are things, we've even said that there are certain things that God's word absolutely profoundly condemns and yet we say, In our sometimes, and I put this in quotations, enlightened time, oh, that's really not sinful anymore, or that's a misunderstanding of what that is, or that's not a big deal in our world today, or times have changed, or I heard this this last week, well, that's old school, And we dismiss those things that God's Word says, these things will destroy you. They'll affect you. They will burden you. They will ruin your life if you do them. And instead of swinging off into legalism, as sometimes we are given to do, we've swung off into the opposite direction, into what's called license. In other words, you can do anything. These things should not be We can treat sin so lightly. We can be so flippant about it, as if God's will is some celestial option to accept or to reject. It's so easy in our culture to just say, well, whatever. People will be people. To dismiss our actions by saying, well, I'm not perfect or I'm only human. Well, of course, we don't expect perfection and we're all human. But God calls us to a holy standard. He says, there are some things that my word says are wrong, and therefore, if you do them, you will be judged if you don't repent. For thousands of years, until John made that face-to-face declaration, it was understood that our sins had to be covered over. That our sins had, some sacrifice had to be made to attempt some kind of restitution. See, that's what makes this statement here in John chapter 1 so powerful. It was in that brief statement that John began by saying, behold. Do you see it there? He said, behold. Behold. That that means there he is or there it is. Look upon that. Again, in my mind, I can see John. He's sitting there, maybe hip deep in water. He's baptizing people. He sees Jesus come near him and he points his finger and he says, Behold, or there he is. He points to a person, not to an idea, not to a concept. He points to a person and he says, There he is. And he says, There is, behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Remember, this is a Jewish society. That's where the message came through, the Jewish people initially. He says, this is the Lamb of God. Not the Passover Lamb that they had annually celebrated and and looked back upon for about 1400 years at this point. Not the Passover Lamb that that would cover the the, 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 the sin of the people and kind of cover it over and, 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 and hold back God's wrath and God's judgment. No, no, not, not, that, not that kind of lamb. Not some, not some animal sacrifice that they would deal with throughout the year to cover something, you know, a big, a big sin, big sacrifice, little sin, little sacrifice. No, here he said, behold the lamb of God. This was the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice provided by God himself. What a statement! There he is, the Lamb of God. And this ultimate sacrifice, John declared, you understand this was by the Holy Spirit, this ultimate sacrifice would take away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. The sin of the world. Not cover your family, just your family. Not cover just you. Not cover just your tribe or your nation or your community. But behold, there he is, God's Lamb, who will take away the sins of the world. By the way, uh, another translation of this would be who carries away, who takes away, who carries away, who carries off the sins of the world. Uh, For those of you who are are, uh, students of the Greek language, this is in the present tense. So it could be like this, it could be read this way, who continues to take away the sin of the world didn't just take away the sin up to that point but he continues to take away the sin of the world he's still doing that today he's carrying away your sin my sin as we give it to him glory to God what bad news that sin is from the very beginning when when Adam and Eve sinned you know, by the way you know if you think about it it The first sin was not some, you know, lewd, crude, vile, what we would consider a, you know, a really class A kind of a sin. It was eating of a fruit from a tree. Now, if eating fruit from a tree is sinful, well, you all better just hit your knees right now. See, it wasn't that. It was disobedience. That's, that's, that's what it was. It was disobedience to God's plan. That's the root of, of all sin. It's I want my way more than I want his way. When Jonah, when Jonah got on a boat, there's nothing wrong with getting on a boat. <laughs> going in the opposite direction. But it was sin because God said, I want you to go one way, and Jonah said, I'm going another. There's nothing wrong with counting people. But when God said, don't count the people, and David said, I'm going to count the people, he, th- that thing in itself seems so benign. And, and, and people would say, What's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. It's wrong if God says it's wrong. And because Adam and Eve started this, we have this. You talk about a pandemic, there became a pandemic of sin. 100% of the people from Adam and Eve's time until now have been tainted and exposed and, 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 and affected, infected by this thing called sin. But then Jesus came along. He's God's lamb, and He takes away the sin of the world why this is such a powerful face-to-face encounter. This was a world-changing declaration. It's easily overlooked because it's right there at the beginning of the book of John and you just kind of read through it. But don't miss its significance because it meant that true forgiveness was no longer just a hope or a concept or an idea. Now God's forgiveness was embodied in a person in the ultimate sacrifice who would take away our sins. Isn't this good news? Come on, isn't this good news? We don't have to carry this. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've done it multiple times. We've done it more times than you can count. We've done everything. We've done everything on the list. There are things that we've done that don't even make other people's lists. But none of them are too big for my God. good news that when we acknowledge our sins, when we acknowledge our sins and we confess our sins, he carries them away. I want you to see this. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a different John who the Holy Spirit inspired to write that. But, boy, it's the same same heart of God. It's an if-then, cause-and-effect statement. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. See, well, what's our part? His part, he died on the cross. He rose, Jesus rose from the dead. So that all we do is say, I've sinned. Call it what it is. I've sinned, I confess it to you, I renounce it, I call it what it is, it's an infection, it's not of you, God, I confess it to you, and and if we do that, he is faithful and he is just, you talk about justice, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, what amazing news, now some people, hear me, some people think their sin is bigger than God. Some people think their sin is bigger than God. And let me tell you, if you think that, not only you're wrong, but who do you think you are that your sin is bigger than God? Who do you think, I mean, how bad do you have to be? Oh, you know, Jesus, he covered everything, but this one, I just don't know. But I've had people tell me that. I remember having a discussion with a young man once several years ago. You don't know him, but he he, he was he the, he was absolutely bound in the sin of pornography. And he says, "I'm so tired of this." He says, "I know it's wrong," but he says, "I'm just going to give myself to it because he says I've done it so long and I've done it. I've, I, it's been so, it's so deeply entrenched in my life." He says, "I'm just I'm just going to do whatever I, until my, I'm, and it's his "He says until the eyes rot out of my head, I'm going to do it because Jesus can't forgive me." And I basically said the same thing. Who do you think you are? That your sin is bigger than the grace of God. It's not. Our God is able not only to forgive, but to deliver. That's why we call it, that's why we call it, and we sing it, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but glory to God, because of the blood of Jesus, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And that is the power of God's grace. If he can handle the sins of the world, then he can handle any of your sins. He can deal with any of it. God's desire and his ability to forgive and to deliver is infinitely greater than your sin. It's greater than all the sins of the world. Hmm. I stand here as one before people who sit there as one who has been forgiven. I'm speaking to people who have experienced the grace of God. If you are very grateful that God's amazing grace has worked in your life, then say amen. amen. I believe that. But there are some here or there are some listening who are saying, God, can you forgive me? And the unqualified statement is, yes, yes. He can, and He will. He's the Lamb of God who takes away, carries away, continues to take away the sin of the world. I grew up working with cattle. On one memorable occasion... I was covered from head to toe with cow manure. Actually, Leo, on more than one occasion. Vile, filthy. I went to hug my mom. She ran. She wouldn't even let me in the house. She said, You take that hose and you hose off in the backyard. I remember hosing off, getting most of the stuff off, going into the shower in our basement. I think I went through a whole bar of soap. Lava soap. Put on some clean, dry clothes. It felt so good to be clean. I know what it's like to be bound in sin, to be so filthy, <laughs> and then to experience the grace of God, and it feels so good, and the joy that John felt, I've felt, and so have you, but I want you to experience it if you've not. At the now the close of our service, close of our time together, I... I I want to give you the opportunity to experience a Holy Spirit, God, Lamb of God cleansing. How's that possible? Because if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So wherever you are here in this room, you're listening online right now, Would you bow your heads with me? Whatever it is, however long you've done it, however deeply immersed you've been in it, however thick that crust of filth is upon you, I want you to know that because of the blood of Jesus Christ that he gave so willingly on that cross, you can be clean. So whatever it is, Say, Lord, I give that to you. And and just confess it to him right now. Call it what it is. Lord, that thing, just right now, in your heart, even, even with your mouth, just quietly, wherever you are, say, Lord, I call that what it is. I call that what it is. That thing that I've been excusing, it's sin, it's destructive, it's destroying me, and it's destroying people around me. I confess it to you. And by the authority of your word and 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, I confess it to you. And now, Lord, I believe that those words are true. That if I confess it, then you will forgive me of all of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So Lord, clean me up now. Clean me up now. And Lord, while I'm praying that, if I've never prayed this before, I pray it now. Jesus, come into my heart. Go ahead and pray that right now, wherever you are. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you instead of just living for me. That's disobedience. I want to live for you, not just for me. So God, I give myself to you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you've spoken to us today. Thank you, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to be let out in a song. You can spend as much time here as you'd like. By the way, these altars are open. Do you want to pray for somebody? You know what? I'm just going to say it. I may get in trouble. I don't care. I'm beyond caring. If you want to pray for someone up here and they're okay with it, just put your hand on their shoulder. These, you know, you don't have to. Unless you've got arms that are six feet long. No, just come on up here and pray with them. You're not comfortable with that, I understand. Not a problem. You can spend as much time here around these altars praying or you can greet each other, you can love on each other. But I want you to know you've met with God today. When you leave this place, close in prayer. Jesus, I ask your blessing upon every person here today, every person listening, every person watching. I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you give and the freedom that we have all in you. And we pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. If you believe it, say amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power of the Lord Jesus.